I want to talk to you about empty threats. Empty threats is the title of my talk. And I want to inform you about what Jesus, the anointed one, has done to the sin in your life. And the reality is we've gathered here today to hear the story of Jesus. We've gathered here today to hear the message of Jesus. And sometimes it's like, well, I already know this. Yeah, but in the same way that sin in your life tries to preach a sermon to you, Jesus in your life is preaching a sermon to you. And I suggest if you're going to choose which sermon to podcast, I say you podcast the Jesus sermon and not the sin sermon because sin is full of threats. But I got good news this morning. They are by definition, biblically, doctrinally, theologically, they are empty threats. And I'm going to show you three empty threats that sin is right now trying to get you to podcast and trying to get you to buy into and trying to get you to believe. And I actually believe it's going to set you free. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You're going to leave here lighter. You're going to leave here with a sense of divine persuasion. God is with you. If God is for you, who can be against you? This is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. Somebody say amen. So the single most important sitcom in human history or at least in the United States, uh, is not debatable. It is, in fact, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And anyone who understands knows that's the facts, okay? The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is the most important sitcom in human history, so much so, and if that's offensive to you, there are a ton of churches I could recommend. But The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is a show that all of my kids have watched multiple times. They've seen every episode. Will Smith is very important to me, okay? So I love The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, I also, I'm going to tie these together. Bear with me. I also, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but growing up, I was a talker. All right. All right. The laughter is a little sarcastic, but so I love to talk. I mean, every teacher that saw me walk into class, you can imagine I went to Bellevue Christian for middle school. I went to Issaquah high school for High school, Issaquah High School people? Yes, Megan, yes. You you went to Issaquah. Who else went to Issaquah High School? Right here. These are my favorite people today. Okay, we got three. Anybody else? Issaquah High School. Four, Issaquah High School. Five, Issaquah High School. Who else? Are you here? Are you here? There's five of us. Wait, where, where, where? Yes, wait, are you married? You're engaged. Or do you hope? to be engaged. The way you said that was like, we're engaged soon, I hope. But he did pop the question. Did you say slightly? You can't make this content up. This is unbelievable. What do you mean slightly? Who slightly asks, will you marry me? Guys, the sermon can wait. We'll do it next week. Come on. Like what in the world? But you, but you're in love. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right, so. <laughs> Guys, I'm just kidding, I'm the worst. I'm looking at your face, sir, and you're like, I hate this preacher, I hate this church. I tell you what, though, your slightly engaged um, girlfriend is, she likes this church. Um, we could officially pop the question right now. I'm just kidding, we're not doing that. That's not the point of church. Um, that's awesome. But you guys went to Issaquah High School. True story. What year did you graduate? Do not say 2010 or something. 07? I was 97. Good year. 
<laughs> That's Ethan. He's on staff. Um, I was 97. You guys were 07. That's 10 years. All right. Well, I feel discouraged. I'm going to change the sermon to when you feel old. What do you do? Um, that's amazing. We love you guys. I'm so glad you're here. And thank you for being honest. That was exhilarating. Anybody else slightly engaged? I'm kidding. Everyone calm down. All right. That is, that is, you understand. I am going to go home and tell my kids about you too, because that is one of the best moments in church I've had in quite some time. I have never, that's exhilarating. Okay. Oh, my word. Anybody else from Mystical High School? I know. I won't embarrass you. You're like, Judah, you already did. <laughs> like, anybody? Okay, so there's like seven or eight of us from the best high school in the state of Washington, and that's amazing. Um, but I went to Issaquah High School, and I was a talker. I would go into class, and immediately my teachers would be like, hey, Judah, today, how about, you know, and I'd be like, absolutely, totally, definitely. I will not talk today. I promise you, honestly, you're one of my, and I would start in, and they'd be like, you're doing it, you know, so I love to talk. Now, with talking comes some threats, especially when I was playing sports. I was the talker on the team. Now, if you look at me, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking they're probably empty threats. And boy, are you right. But what I've learned, if you are skinny, all you got to do is find some friends who aren't. And then you do the talking for them. So I would just set up my friends for fights. Now, some of you are like, Judah, that's so bad. It's like, all right, well, too late, okay? It was in 1997. I've changed, all right? But I was, I was a threatener. I was like, well, you want some? Yeah, come get some. You know, like, I would, like, turn to, like, the opposing crowd in the gym, and I would be like, let's go. You. I would just be talking to my coach. I'd be like, Judah, it's time out. Come over to the team. I love to talk. And I've always had big friends for a reason. Now there's a beginning of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that says, I got one little fight and my mom got scared. And she said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in. I knew I love this church. Oh my word. That is so good. So I whistle for a cab and the license plate said, fresh and had dice in the mirror. Yes. I love you. I will be here forever now. I'm not moving to Palm Springs in 21 years. I'm staying right here because this church knows the theme song of the most important sitcom in the United States of America. Having said that, I did get in one little fight. It was in first grade. Kelly Hoiberg was my girlfriend. And I, I, I need Jeff Iverson in, in an inappropriate place. And it was very, very bad. But that's the one little fight that I ever got. And the rest of them were empty threats. I was always talking, but I could never back them up. I got some really good news today. Sin is always talking. But if you put your trust in the finished work of Jesus, sin will always talk, just like me in high school. Sin will always talk, but it will be empty. And once you find out that that condemning voice in your head has empty threats, you will be able to, in a way, mock it and say, yeah, right. Yeah, right. You have no power. You have no hold. And all your threats are empty. And I know who I am. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am so excited. Forgive me for being so excited, but I just got a sense that you're weak. I think the lights just got lower for a second and I'm not sure why, but we're just going to keep going. I think this week could be one of the most fulfilling, meaningful, and It could be very challenging, but if you will learn how to treat the threats of sin in your life, 
I believe you're going to experience more stability, more consistency, more confidence, more strength, and even more physical energy. I'm believing you're going to be energized this week at the reality of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished in your life. So here's what we're going to do. Romans chapter 5. If you ever wonder what chapter five is about, five is the number of grace, and quite literally, Romans chapter five, which originally it wasn't chapter five, there weren't chapters and verses, we did that for our own convenience, but five is the number of grace. So it's always easy to remember Romans five. You wanna know about the grace of God? You wanna know about the gift of Jesus? You wanna know about what he's purchased for you, what the price he paid for you, what he's accomplished for you, what's available to you, who you are? Go to Romans five. It wouldn't be a bad thing if I was a doctor writing you a prescription and you felt discouraged and distraught and overwhelmed and, 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 and like you didn't measure up and you didn't, you weren't good enough and you weren't smart enough and you weren't sharp enough, I would write you a prescription to read Romans chapter five every day. Romans chapter five every day, the much more chapter in the Bible. So we're going to read a portion of it. Um, and please don't forget, sometimes when preachers like me read the Bible, we tune out waiting for the explanation. But the reading of the Bible is probably better than the explanation. It's the inspired part. Now, I think I'm inspired, but this is like inerrant word of God. So listen to this. The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, Adam, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. That condemning sentence inside of you that says it's hopeless, you're worthless, it's pointless, don't even try, you're just a big failure. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, you ready? Much more. Will those who earn, deserve, warrant, pray for, beg, receive? Now, Christmas is coming up. And if you don't know what receive means, it means open up your gift and taking it home. That's it. That's all it means. So if you receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, you can reign in life through the one man. Jesus Christ. I mean, if I could write a really specific prescription, I would say Romans 5.17 is the pill you need to take every day for the rest of your life. You can reign in life. Going on, verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, now the law, the Ten Commandments, came to increase the trespass, makes us more aware of our sin. But where sin increased, is this, is like the, this is the key verse today. But where sin increased, where you kept sinning and kept sinning and kept sinning, comma, grace abounded all the more. Wow, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just for time, we'll, 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 we'll stop there. Uh, uh, wow. 
okay, that's like, um, like if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a candy dealer, it's like someone just dropped off a semi truck of candy. And all I can see is like all the kids were going to make happy with all this candy. I mean, Romans chapter five for a preacher, you are not supposed to be a preacher if Romans five doesn't get you going because Romans five is, it is the culmination of the finished work of Jesus. I'll draw your attention to Romans chapter five and verse 20. It says where, where sin keeps happening, where sin is apparent and most practiced and most involved in, grace abounded more so. Now, some translations use this idea of super abounded. Grace super abounded. One translation says when it is sin versus grace, it's no contest. Grace wins every single time. Grace super abounds, which is to say that where there is sin, by putting your faith in Jesus, that sin is covered, forgiven, and forgotten. Now, hopefully within our journey today, these next couple of hours as we study... All right, relax. But in these next several minutes as we study Romans chapter 5, you're, 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 we're going to discover that um, there are implications naturally in our life. Uh, for instance, if you slap my mom, I would consider that a sin. There are going to be implications coming from me to you if you slap my mom. Now, Jesus forgives you, and I will too, right after I get done at least slapping you back for slapping my mom, okay? So, so this sermon is not like, well, what about when you slap me back for slapping your mom? It's like, well, I don't know. That's called just humans doing what humans need to do. Slap my mom, I will slap you, okay? It's just what it is, all right? So, so your brain during this journey is going to tell you, yeah, but I cheated on my wife and she divorced me, so, so sin did win. Okay, we're gonna talk about that then. We're, did, did it win? Does it win? Or are, are those natural complications, natural happenings from hurting one another? We're going to talk about that a little bit and try to make sense of it. But this is what happens. A preacher like me gets up and talks about how you're totally forgiven and you're totally free from all the bad things you've done. And then you want to go home, put your hand on a hot stove and not feel any pain. And when you feel pain, you go, grace isn't real. And sometimes we fail to realize that the pain you feel in your hand might also be the grace. So you don't do it again. Sin, by definition, is hurting you most. You know that, right? You're hurting yourself the most. Now, oftentimes we don't see that until somebody else hurts us as a result of us hurting ourselves and what we've done. Does that make sense? Someone's like, I can no longer talk to you because of what you've done. That's called boundaries, by the way. And grace doesn't teach that if you hurt someone in acts of sin, that they're supposed to forgive you and still be your best friend. But this is what happens. In our natural realm, it's very difficult for us to understand the implications of the supernatural truth of grace. And so sometimes we just kind of we go, yeah, 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 grace. So what we've done with grace, if we have made grace like a get out of jail free card on Monopoly, and it's just kind of like, all right, I'm, all right, I'm forgiven. And then what we do is we get greasy with it and we're like, well, God forgives me. Why don't you? You're like, bro, I forgive you. It doesn't mean you're going to be allowed in my house again. Right? So there are healthy boundaries. Jesus had boundaries. Boundaries are everywhere. Jesus put boundaries to the ocean. He put boundaries to continents. He put boundaries to animals and birds and snakes and spiders. And spiders don't have a lot of boundaries. But the point is, the point is, 
Boundaries are a truth of the universe. And so there is no such thing as boundaryless love. That's called abuse. So today we're not propagating that everyone does what they want. And in the name of grace, we just kind of pretend like nothing happened. That actually is to not fully embrace what Jesus has done for us in response to our sin. But keep in mind, I believe doctrine and theology grows in error when we make more of sin than grace, when we make more of ourselves than God. One of the truest litmus tests of preaching is when you're done listening to the preacher, are you thinking more about yourself or more about him? The goal of every preacher is that you would think more about God than yourself when it's done, to be mesmerized with him. So, I want you to resist the urge in the next few minutes to take this sermon and think more about yourself. I want you to allow yourself to not make this about yourself and just ponder the beauty, the majesty, the width, the length, the height, and the depth of God's love for you. That's where the power is. That's where the healing is. That's where the miracle is. It's in focusing on Jesus. John the Baptist said something that's very profound, and he meant it quite literally in his public ministry, but he said, I have to decrease, and he has to increase. Oh, that is good doctrine right there. When you study your Bible, the goal is you decrease, and he increases. When we gather as believers, the goal is that you decrease, and he increases. The knowledge, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The scripture does not say grow in the grace and knowledge of your own shortcomings, sins, successes, and amazing accomplishments. No, it's, our mind is to be set on him. Paul said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Our eyes are to be on Jesus. It was instructed to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. The statement was, you've not been this way before. Keep your eyes on the ark. The ark was a manifestation. It was a physical manifestation of what would be, which is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ark of the new covenant. Jesus is the presence of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the ark. And Anytime you see the ark in the Hebrew scriptures, it's a type of Jesus. So the goal is, listen, it's 2021. We've not been this way before. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. So let's allow ourselves now. Your brain is going to want to naturalize what inherently is supernatural. Grace is supernatural. And the only way grace really works in our life is by receiving its supernatural nature according to faith. What's faith? It's when God divinely inspires us and persuades us and we start to receive it and believe it. So as there is an anointed utterance about the anointed one, your faith is going to grow. Don't let your brain say that doesn't make sense. I got news for you. The most powerful, beautiful things in the universe don't make sense. This I know. I can prove it to you if you want me to. All the doctors in the world still can't figure out completely how this body works that we're all in right now. Your body is a wonder. It is a miracle. And we do not understand it all. We do not. We don't even know. We, we, I got appendicitis. And it's 2021. That was when I was 16. And doctors still don't know why we need appendixes. We're not we're like, I don't, what is the appendix for? We're like, I don't know. Let's take it out. See what happens, right? Like we, we, come on, we, we got to admit 
A lot of things don't make sense. Right? So let's now approach grace. Grace being the gift of God in the person of Jesus who became sin so that by receiving, not earning, deserving, or warranting, but by receiving, accepting, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and now we have a right relationship with God. Now, the theme of our life is not self-improvement, self-help, focusing on our weaknesses and our shortcomings and our sins, but it's focusing on the finished work of Jesus and righteousness. Notice what it says in Romans chapter five. How does grace work in your life? Grace works through righteousness. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, which is to say the goal of your Christian life is not about what you do and don't do, what you put in your body or don't put in your body. And listen, the maker's diet, that's awesome. Have a great time. That's wonderful, right? Chelsea's in the middle of a 21-day detox, I will never do a 21-day detox. I don't want to detox. I want to tox. (laughs) Kidding, I'm kidding, kind of. Um, But that's our marriage in a nutshell. Chelsea's in a 21-day detox. I take those 21 days to eat in front of her and show her how free I am in Jesus. (laughs) Chelsea needs more of the gospel. So, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You're the best. I love you so much. Oh man, but her breath hasn't been the best. So I think what's important is (laughs) we've been talking about it. Thank God for masks. All right. What guys, come on. I check all these jokes before I tell them. No, I don't at all. I never, we get emails sometimes like Chelsea is, does Judah, he runs the jokes before he tells them about you, right? Think what you may think what you need to. Grace reigns in your life by focusing on righteousness. The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy. And so, which is to say, your focus should not be on what you do and don't do, where you go and don't go, what you say and don't say, um, um, how you vote and don't vote. That's actually not what makes up the Christian life. What makes up the Christian life is a focus on Jesus and what he has accomplished and made available to you. Oh, and by the way, a right relationship with God is to produce two-thirds of the kingdom is is an emotional well-being, an emotional state of being. And that emotional state of being, evidently, is peace and joy. But the peace and joy reigns in your life when you focus on righteousness. Righteousness is not what you earn. It's not what you deserve. It is imputed. Imputed righteousness means gifted. It means given, not earned. So when you focus on what has been gifted, when you focus on what has been given, it results in peace and joy. And I've said this before. We put it on the table not long ago. My issue right now with modern evangelicalism is I can't find the peace and the joy. We're afraid like everybody else. And my Bible says he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So I just want to suggest if what we were doing was working, it would have worked by now. So maybe we need to shift our focus to righteousness, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the lion and the lamb, the lily of the valley, the the rose of Sharon, the desire of all nations. And maybe by focusing on him and what he's done and what he's accomplished, maybe we will discover a whole level of living that we have yet to experience because we are so preoccupied with what we're eating, talking, saying and doing. I love you, church, so much, but if you focused as much on Jesus as you do on not cussing, it would help. I'm being so serious, and I'm not promoting cussing. 
I'm just saying there are traditional things we've done in church, like chewing gum in church. <gasps> we would rather shame people for wearing baseball caps in church than talk about the finished work of Jesus and righteousness. I want to welcome you to a church, honestly, as long as you, you know, cover yourself as best as you can, like, you're welcome here. We're not doing that. We are focusing on a person. We're focusing on righteousness, which results in peace and joy that is transcendent and supernatural and from heaven, right? That's what we need and that's what we desire. So, so let's talk about these empty threats like me in high school. Here's the first threat that I see that sin, sin will threaten disgrace. Sin will threaten disgrace. It will threaten disgrace. And I want you to hear this statement because it's good theology. We cannot, by definition, you cannot disgrace who God has graced. You cannot disgrace what God has graced. Once you are graced by God, the blessing of God that maketh rich and add no sorrow to it. Now, I know we look at the word rich and we're like, money, you know, but actually like God's not hung up on, on, on our, mon on our uh, temporary system of paper that we've printed on. And we've said, this is worth a lot of stuff. Like guys, guys, that's, that's kind of insulting. Men and women, God's not in heaven going, man, I got to get a hundred dollar bill right? Like bills, money, paper, that's literally just paper to God. So we're, we're very caught up with this idea of riches, but God wants to give you the true riches, which is what money can't buy, which there it is again, peace and joy. Peace and joy. Peace and joy. You know, one of my favorite theological statements by Biggie, more money, more problems. Be careful what you wish for. Okay. It's, everyone's like, I want the true riches. Good. It's not money. There's some billionaires in here in relationship to peace and joy. That's the kind of billionaire I want to be. Now, I would try the other one too, just to see how it felt. And then, you know, any preacher who says otherwise is lying. You know, it's like, do you want to be a billionaire? Yeah, both kinds, spiritual and natural. You know, but the point is, <laughs> he, he, what he blesses, what God blesses, this is what we're saying. No man can curse. No man can curse. Do you know that you cannot be cursed? For those that have put your faith in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, you are not allowed to be cursed. Now, if you believe you are cursed, you can start acting like you're cursed, even though you're not cursed. You cannot be cursed, for you have been blessed. You are the blessed of God. You are the chosen of God. You are the anointed of God. You are the protected of God. How do we know this? You can go back to ancient Hebrew scripture. The Passover is a type and shadow of what Jesus would accomplish for all who received him. The blood of an animal over the doorpost when the angel of death came to the children of Israel living in Egypt, he had to pass over. He had 
to pass over. The angel of death did not want to pass over. He wanted to cause death in the home of the Israelites, but he was not allowed to because the blood spoke a better word about that family. Not that that family was any, any better than the Egyptian families. It's just that that family had put a trust in sacrificial blood. Now the sacrificial blood of Jesus speaks a better word about your family. So when the death angel comes to your home, it must pass over. You cannot be cursed. You cannot be damned. You are blessed and you are graced. Now, the great challenge, do you know what the Bible says we're to work at in the New Testament? Do you know what your work is? To believe. That's your work, is to actually accept what your brain and context and elements oftentimes tell you otherwise. You're not blessed. You're just sick like everybody else. You're not blessed. You're just as sour and upset and offended as everybody else. You're not graced. You're not anointed. You're not blessed and privileged by the hand of God and the finished work of Jesus. Yes, I am. And one of the reasons we gather and we don't forsake this someone of ourselves together, whether in this room or in living rooms or parks or, 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 or dorm rooms all over the world watching on the app, we gather together to remind ourselves what we have in Jesus. Now, remember the woman caught in adultery. We see this in the scripture. And she is surrounded by men ready to throw rocks because she has been caught in the act of having sex with a man that she was not married to. Now, we'll never hear the story about the man. And isn't that the irony of humanity and the human condition? The man sleeping with her is probably in the group ready to stone her. Sounds like humans in 2021. Guilty of the same crime, just not caught on the internet. So we love to shame people that are caught. Oh, may God help us. Be careful now, church. Be careful what you wish for. That's not who we are. I do not participate in canceling people. In fact, that's offensive to me as a Jesus follower. We are actually here to do the exact opposite of cancel people. We are here to love people, include people, and celebrate people. And guess who we celebrate? You know who we, we only celebrate broken people, only broken people. You know why? Because everyone's broken. So by definition, the only people we celebrate, we don't celebrate perfect whole people. We don't celebrate them because we can't find them. So we only celebrate at church on broken, selfish, nightmare people. That's who we're about. It's awesome. And instead of canceling, we, we're celebrating. We're like, bro, you're a nightmare, aren't you? That was so dumb what you did in 1998. You should never do that again. Get over and give me a big hug, you crazy guy. So this woman is caught. Jesus says something that should be our gospel perspective. He says, hey, no, no problem, no problem, no problem, no problem. He says, whoever is all good, perfectly good. You've never done anything wrong like this woman clearly has. Jesus never said she didn't do anything wrong. He never said this isn't wrong. She's fine. She's my daughter. Let's pretend she didn't do it. He didn't, he didn't, no, that's not grace. He says, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, let's, she shouldn't have done that. All right, well, whoever is um, perfect, execute judgment. Now, do you know what he's doing, right? He's pointing us to him again. All the teachings of Jesus do one primary thing. They point us back to the teacher. 
Don't get caught up. It's all, Jesus, Jesus sometimes will say things and you'll be like, what, what is that parable about? Jesus! <laughs> Yesterday we shot the Christmas Eve, last two days we shot the Christmas Eve special. You gotta watch it. On demand, Church Home Christmas Eve special. It's gonna be amazing. And some of the kids of Church Home were there and they were literally asking like the most incredible questions and they're, 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 they're literally just asking the simplest of questions that, that really articulate what, what, what the gospel is. And that is that like, we're, we're all guilty and we're, we're all bad. And one, one kid raises his hand, he's like, but why did Jesus come to the earth? And I was like, I've been waiting for people in our church to ask that. And it's like, that's it. And I was like, to save us, he's our superhero. He's like, okay, that's cool. I got it. Isn't it funny how Sunday school might've been your best theological schooling you ever got? Jesus loves you, but... But like he knows that you're an heir. And at one point in the, in, in, in the shoot, um, one of the kids just kept saying, Jesus, kids, what do you think? Jesus. And I finally stopped and said, you know what? He's got it. It's always the answer. He's nailing it right now, right? It's always like, Jesus, what's the key to marriage? Jesus, what's the key to a savings and a retirement? Jesus. I'm like, he just keeps getting it right, right? This is amazing. So all the teachings of Jesus are about Jesus, so he's like, hey, whoever is perfect, you execute judgment. And then he goes back. And we're all supposed to go, well, no one's perfect. And Jesus is over there just doodling. Well, I am. You're perfect? Yeah. So then what's your judgment? Um, well, there must be judgment for this act. That's right. The law says we kill her for what she's done. I'm going to get killed so she doesn't have to. Now, you have to understand something. When Jesus starts into new covenant connection with him, it's all pointing us. So this is pre-crucifixion, but it's post-crucifixion talk. I don't know if that makes sense to you. So when Jesus is like, I don't condemn you, the reason he can say that is because the Bible says from the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. Do you hear what I'm saying? So he knows he's going to go to the cross, but he can't say what he says to the woman unless he understands it's not debatable. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to rise again. So he's, he's speaking to her as if he's already been crucified and resurrected. So he says, I don't disgrace you for I will become your disgrace so you can be graced. Now he says this, go, listen to those words, get up, get on with your life and sin no more. And what she's supposed to say is the go should get her really excited. Like, all right. And then when he says sin no more, she should be like, wait, that's impossible. And that's where he would say, I know, but I'm going to live with you every day. Now, at that point, the woman would have been like, I don't really know you that well. That's weird. <laughs> but we, what we know now is his spirit. The spirit of Jesus will now walk with us every day, setting us free from sin consciousness and liberating us to God consciousness. And so now he's with us wherever we go. 
Sin keeps telling you you're going to be disgraced. Jesus keeps telling you I've already been. I've already been disgraced for you. I've taken the shame. There is now therefore no condemnation. No disgracing for those who are inside of the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Which is to say I am as righteous as Jesus is. By simply receiving what he has done for me. Who are you? Are you just Wendell's son? Are you just Jenny's son? Who are you? Are you just, is, are, you, are you just an American? Who are you and whose are you? Let me remind you who you are. If you have received the free gift of righteousness through the finished work of Jesus, let me tell you who you are. You are the beloved of God. You are the adopted son and daughter of the king. You have a seat at the table of royalty. You have a voice at that table to ask what you will, to share what you will, to pour out your complaints to God. And there your heavenly father sits at that table of accessibility and royalty and riches and wealth. And there he listens and he hears and he loves and he cares for you. No act can remove you from that table. No one can take the seat that is yours at the table of your father and the king of all ages. That is your seat and it has your name on it. And it's yours. And the best thing you can do with this seat is not sit around talking about how bad you are and what you don't deserve. We get it. And the reason I know it is because I know it because I feel the same way. The best, the most humble thing you can do today and every day is to sit in that seat and remind yourself, I got this seat because of Jesus. And nothing takes me from this seat. I think it's Ephesians talks about we are seated with him in heavenly places. You sit when you're done working. In theory, right? You sit and there's rest. When's the last time you just rested in the fact that you are forgiven and your standing before God is as perfect as Jesus? Instead, we're Americans. So what we do is we tell ourselves, I'm going, this is going to be the year. I'm going to work on myself this year. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes the cycle of the Americans. Are you ready? Here it comes. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. Here we go. All right. This is going to be my year. Are you tired yet? Are you exhausted yet? Are you burnt out on religious observance of rules? If that was going to work, it would have worked thousands of years ago. Me and you, oh, there's condemnation, judgment. We deserve it all. But Jesus, like a firewall, took it all in his body, disfigured to the point where you couldn't even tell, some historians believe, that he was a human being. His body shredded, swollen, and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Give them my seat at the table. 
Somebody go get Mephibosheth. If you don't know that name, don't worry about it. I can't spell it. But Mephibosheth, he was the lame son of King David. And nobody wanted him around. But the redemptive story of God in the Hebrew Bible, Mephibosheth, even though he could not walk and he was lame in his feet, he was brought back to the table. Oh, oh, let me tell you who you are. You are Mephibosheth and so am I. And we live in a place called Lodabar, and Lodabar means no communication. We live in a place of distance and no communication from God. But David, a type of Jesus, he went on a rescue mission. He went on a search for us, and he came and found us in a place called Lodabar, the place of no communication, the place of distance from God. And he brought us back to the table because that's the second threat that sin and Satan himself will tell you. And it's an empty threat, and that threat is distance from God. Disgrace! And distance will be your inheritance. Distance and displacement. You have no place at his kingdom. You have no place at his table. You're addicted to pornography. You do, you do drugs. You're a divorcee. You've cheated money. You've, you, you've cheated on your taxes. You, you have no place. You belong in Lodabar. And you know what's wild? Without the work of Jesus, that voice couldn't be more right in your head. And that's why we fall prey. Because the voice in our head is using real stuff we've done. And so we come on Sundays and Wednesdays with our tail between our legs and our head held low and we can barely make it into a building or turn on an app for fear that the, 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 that the roof might fall apart because we're here. That was just the 9 a.m. people. <laughs> I still got friends telling me, Judah, if I darken the door of your church, the place will burn down. And I'm like, if that was the case, we would have burned down every building we looked at walked into for who can stand whoever is perfect throw the first stone well that's not me that's right but the perfect one took your disgrace took your distance I can prove it to you I can prove it to you I'm almost done which means not really but do you remember what Jesus said on the cross Eli Eli Lama Sabachthani which is to say, my God, my God, why are you far from me? For there had never been broken communication, for God is one God in three persons. Therefore, the Father and the Son are one unbroken communication, and yet the Son broke communication. Or I should say, the Father broke communication with the Son, for the Son had become the sins of humanity. So Jesus cries out that day on Golgotha as the earth shook and the sun was darkened and the curtain was torn in the temple. He said, God, why are you so far? And the answer unequivocally is so that I can draw near to my children. For you have become their sin, their hate, their bigotry, their racism, their selfishness, their cheating, their lying, their adultery. I have become it. So now the Bible says in Hebrews, we draw near with full assurance of faith. We come to God with confidence, knowing that he always 
is with us. I, I have no problem with songs. And if Amanda was here, I, I have no problem with songs that are like Jesus come, Jesus presence of God, Jesus be here. I think that's wonderful because we all need more of Jesus. But don't you ever forget no matter what song you're singing. And Maverick City is my favorite. But don't get fooled that we out here in these streets begging for God to show up because he's not. That's an insult to the incarnation. For he is amongst us. And he is never far. There is no distance. There is no displacement with God. Now listen, sometimes man needs distance when we sin against each other. Please hear me. Sometimes man needs distance. If you have been hurt, manipulated, lied to, used, abused, there needs to be distance. In some cases, acts against human beings are so drastic, we have to actually put people in a sealed box called prison so that they don't hurt anybody. Is that distance? It is. But don't get it construed and misconstrued because I go to prisons and we're going to go to more prisons. We're going to have more prisoners practicing their faith through church home than probably any other church in the world. This is our goal. Oh, and by the way, we're working hard to ensure that inmates that actually didn't commit a crime, that we can do some investigation, find out, and we can set some prisoners free that aren't supposed to be there. We're in the process of doing that right now. Young man by the name of Julius Jones, we're going to get him out of prison because he's not supposed to be there. So we're going to do that. We're going to set the prisoner free, literally. But understand, some of you have got distance from a friend in a relationship, and you have superimposed that on God. Humans need distance. God does not. Because you can't. You can't. He's God. He's not afraid of what we do. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the message is still true. Just because we need distance doesn't mean God needs distance. So when I tell you that you can never be far from God and never be displaced from God, your brain is going to be like, yeah, but we do. So doesn't God know God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So God is near to the brokenhearted. He is near to the prisoner. He is near to the abuser. He is near to the. And may we mission, may we never wish otherwise on anyone. For it is his nearness that holds the world together. What is hell? What is hell? We've made it about fire and demons. Oh, no. Let me tell you the definition of hell. It is total distance from good. Sorry, God. Same thing. And C.S. Lewis talked about that. Hell is like a subway that goes on forever. And there's no goodness there because God is not there. Right? Like we, we need his presence to survive. So, so sin will threaten you with disgrace. He'll threaten you with distance. And lastly, lastly, and I'm done and the, the worship team can come out. Amanda Cook is here. One of our dear friends from Maverick City, a great artist and singer. And we're going to sing together today. And you're going to, I love the songs we chose to sing. I know I'm not supposed to say that because all songs are wonderful, but not really. So I really like the songs we're singing today. I'm just like you. We start singing some songs in church. I'm like, why are we singing this one? I don't like it. Okay. The difference is I get to tell someone and they have to sing different songs. Okay. Pastoring a church has some perks. The last threat that's empty is the threat of death. It's the threat of death. What is death? 
Can I tell you how the Bible defines death? You'll be shocked to hear this. Eternal separation from God. That's death in the Bible. Did you know that? That's death. Nothing else is truly death. What do we define death here when your heart stops? And guess what we do? We avoid it at all costs. Have you noticed? I mean, all costs. Have you noticed? We're, like I do too. We're obsessed with it. Someone recently, I've, had, I've woken up with headaches lately. Pray for your pastor. I don't know why I've got headaches. I've been having headaches every morning. And I'm like, ah, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm really, really great with pain. Just kidding. Ask Chelsea. Okay, so my dad's motto was no pain, no pain. All right. But quite literally, what was I saying right before the headache comment? Now, just what's that? Death. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to get it together, buddy. Get it together. Amanda, hurry um, with those good songs. Death. Death, we think, is when our heart stops. Do you know what Paul said? Paul said this about our definition of death. He goes, um, He's writing now, so he can't exaggerate when he's, you know, writing inspired scripture. He's like, hey, and I think he's writing to a multiplicity of church. I think it was one of the circular pastoral letters. And he said, I, um, I'm, t- I'm really torn. And I want you guys to know this. As I'm getting older, I, I want to go home. But I know if I stay here, it'll be to your benefit. So which is better? Well, to be with God, probably. But I will remain as long as he wishes. What is this threat we bought into? Why are we so afraid? You go back in church history and you discover that there are a kind of Christians that sometimes I crave today in history. These old saints, these old believers, they, they define death differently than maybe we do in today's pandemic era. Now listen. I'm going to say something I said in the 9 a.m. I want to live, and I mean the heart still beating. Now, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you. I can't tell if we can have sex in heaven. I'm being, I'm being real honest, Miss Tammy. I can't tell. So what I'm thinking is I need to stay here as long as I can to have sex with this. I only have sex with her. I also, that needs to be clarified for preachers everywhere, okay? I have sex with one person, one woman, and it's her. Okay, and that's my commitment to you, and I'd like to stick to that. Okay, so this is the person I'm sleeping with, and I got like three boards that are asking me hard questions and friends, and I can never be by myself. And so I just want you to know that, like, I'm really just having sex with her, and I really want to have more of it. So I want to live. So I'm not against living, mask up, do whatever. I'm down. I got the vaccine, thought everyone would be proud of me, figured. Finally realized a lot of people were offended. I didn't know it was going to go like that, okay? My bad. But I really want to live. I really want to live. I'm not against living. I'm not against, like, keep breathing, heart beating, more sex. I'm in. But this isn't home. Hey, this isn't home. If this is home, I don't like home all the time. I'm going to tell you where home is. Home is a place that's always been and always will be. Home is a place called eternal. Home is a place where there is no sunset and there is no sun and there is no moon for the goodness and glory of God that emanates from the being of the wonderful one, the creator of the ages. He will be our light. There will be no need for sleeping for our bodies will be full of light and full of energy and full of strength. 
We will be in our glorified state. There will be no self-control. Somebody shout me down because I'm going to start preaching about heaven. I need to go home where I don't need self-control. Come on, somebody. I'm dead serious. Where I can look at the Twinkie and say, yes, Lord, whatever it is. I know it sounds silly, but I was talking to my friend. I was like, man, I can't wait where I don't need self-control anymore. I'm being so serious. I'm so tired of intermittent fasting so that I don't show up on the stage and all you're like, wow, pastor, you've been eating a lot. You know, like I, I, it's like, I'm so excited about no self-control. In the meantime, our short stay here, which the Bible in the New Testament reiterates vapor here today, gone tomorrow. It's like a wind. It's like dust. It's like sand. And we're so busy holding sand. We're so busy keeping the sand. We're so busy worried about the sand. I'll tell you something that I can't prove in scripture, but just for fun, because this is only once a month, so we might as well do it. And the game is until Monday night. I mean, how free are we right now? Okay. The Sounders already played, the Kraken already played, and the Seahawks don't play till Monday. Where do you actually have to go? Your kids are being babysat for free. All right. But I, you know what I think? I think linear time and space and eternity, I don't think they're parallel. I don't think they line up. So my dad used to say, son, I think we all get there right about the same time. Yeah, I do. I think my dad got there 10 years ago, but I think in eternity, it might be more like 10 seconds ago. I think my dad steps into eternity and I go, dad, he goes, I got a hunch we're all going to get there at the same time. And all the stuff we make down here about, man, dad, I, I hope you're okay up there. I know you miss me. I miss you too. I, I don't know if it works like that. I don't know. We've made heaven in our own image, let alone God. And we start to, I'm telling you, this isn't home. And when sin comes telling you, I'm going to kill you. Your response should be, I've, I have already died in Christ. I have already offered my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I've already discovered that the only true life is eternal life. And that only comes through the person of Jesus. So you can threaten me with whatever you may. But I got good news for you. My dad from this very stage used to say, no matter what we win, no matter what we win. And at the time he was facing terminal cancer because no matter what we win, we're going to go home and we're going to see our loved ones again. Miss Tammy, you're going to see your husband again. We're going to be there again. We're going to be together forever. It's going to be glorious and it's going to be wonderful. So let us for a moment get sober. We are so drunk on linear time and space. We are treating it like this is forever and that is temporary, but this is temporary. And I needed a preacher today to tell me that what I'm facing and what I'm going through and what I'm enduring, it won't last forever. This this temporary, light, momentary affliction will someday give way to a far weightier glory in eternity. So threaten me as you will, sin. I already died to what I want and when I want and where I want it. I already died. Threaten me with death. See, some of these old saints, they treated the heart-stopping, they treated the heart-stopping thing different than we do. They understood that your heart was going to stop eventually anyways. 
We are so obsessed. And brothers and sisters, you need to understand, I am a faith guy. If you want to pray for a healing of cancer, if you want to pray a miracle in your body, we've seen people healed of cancer. We've seen people healed of COVID. We've seen miracles in this very building. I believe God does miracles. But even people who get miraculously healed die. But do they? When my heart stops, I will not. So how can you call that death? Listen to this scripture. I'm done with this. This is it. This is it. It's the last scripture. It's the last scripture. It's the last scripture. Check this out. Guys, where, where, where is that one scripture? Yes, 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 yes. Listen to this. Ooh, this is good. Oh, death. Where is your victory? You run around with a ticker tape parade talking about how you got all this power, but you don't. In fact, I know you don't because Christmas is great, but what makes Christmas great is Easter. Ladies and gentlemen, thousands of people died on crosses. Do you understand that? I know we put crosses everywhere, but the cross is not the symbol of our belief system. It's the empty tomb. Because it's there that our king got up and said, I'm trying to tell you something. I have the power over everything. And everything I taught is true. And now you know, because nobody gets back up, but I did. And I was dead three days in the Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew Bible. Once you were dead three days, you're dead for good. So Jesus waited till he was dead for good. And then he wasn't. And everyone's like, oh! and he's like, I try to tell you. I try to tell you. I have the power over death, hell, and the grave. So, oh, death, where is your victory you so pompously talk about in my head? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody say, amen. 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 So, 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 so the goal of this life is not just to keep my heart beating. It's not just to, even though I'm 43, try to look like I'm 33. I got no problem with that. I got no issue with that. Okay. You can do whatever it is. The fillers, the Botox, just do it. That's awesome. That's great. That's wonderful. But listen, death to me is separation from God. And I got good news from you because of the finished work of Jesus. I will never die. You hear me? I will never die. And you will never die because you will never be separated. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not death. Not pestilence, not disease, not bigotry, not marginalized. Nothing can separate me from the immediate presence of God. Therefore, death, quit walking around here like you're the big bully on the block. Acting like you got us. I'm not showing up at any more funerals talking about this is the end because it's not. And my whole life is not just to keep my heart beating. My whole life is to ensure that as many people as possible can hear the good news of Jesus so they will never die. Isn't that the goal? And the old saints, 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 they kind of knew this. So when plagues hit, they went towards the plague. Where the pain was, they, where's the pain? Oh, come on, let's go. Because if our heart beats, great. But if our heart stops, better. And I'm not saying we're sadistic. I'm not saying we're trying to die. I already told you I'm down to live. But when my heart stops, 
when my heart stops, just know I'll be home. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And I'm done. Where's Amanda? Where's Amanda? There's Amanda. Man, if you'll sit there, I'll, I'll be done. Here's what I think is about to happen, Amanda. And here's what I predict. Bible talks about the gift of prophecy. So if you want to apply this, so be it. Then consider this a prophecy. I would like to predict to you, church home, what is happening right now to the church of the living God. And you may not know it and you may not be aware of it, but there is a metamorphosis happening to the church. And God is using what the enemy meant for evil, and he is turning it for good. Our reach right now with unreached people, our reach in church home is up 450% in the last two years. I know this room doesn't seem as full, and I got good news to report. Thank God it isn't, because we are into mobilizing people all over the world to tell the gospel of Jesus. I promise you, church, I'm going to start pacing back and forth. God did not die within his son Jesus and rise again so we could look at the back of heads of an air-conditioned suburban church building. I'm telling you, there is more for us to do. People are broken, dying, and hurting, and we've got to go where they are. We've got to be the difference. We've got to let people know that even if your heart stops, your soul can live forever in the presence of Jesus. He is good, and he is gracious, and he is powerful, and he is wonderful. And so, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, there will come another generation, if not this generation, the next generation, and they will know the ways of Jesus, the ways of Jesus. Jesus that goes into the highways and the byways and the barrios and continents and countries and they will go from here to there and safety will not be their highest priority but but salvation will be their highest priority and they will risk life and limb to tell the goodness of Jesus I'm telling you we're going to go where it is most dark where it is most bleak God told me we're going to go to culture centers we're going to go where other people have said that is liberal that's a place where they don't want to hear about Jesus I say send us God send us God we'll tell the story of Jesus. We'll go where nobody else wants to go. The goal is not getting people in a building. The goal is getting people to heaven. Wait, wait. Did I hit anybody? Oh, sweet Jesus. Oh, Amanda, if you don't start singing, I'll tell you what. Thank you. Worst, worst moment of my, pre- of my preaching life. Okay. Oh, oh. Miss Tammy, I thought we might have sent somebody right then and there. Right then and there. Come on, church. Are you with me? Come on. Are you with me, church? Come on, his kingdom come, his will be done. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Not our will, but your will be done. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the church that you're building. We thank you for the world you're in love with. God, we thank you these empty threats by sin are just that. They're empty and they're hollow. You are great and you are greatly to be praised. And we love you and we worship you and we honor you and we magnify you and we love you and we consider it our highest honor to be a part of your family, to have a seat at your table. So we take these harmonies and these melodies and we honor you and we worship you and we celebrate you. Come on church, let's worship together. Come on, let's worship together.